Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. From KQED. We are going to talk now about something closer to home. Uh, we talking about Washington, of course, in the first segment. But Governor Newsom just today lifted a stay-at-home order across the whole state. This allows reopening of outdoor dining and other services, and counties will be moving back into the color tier system to determine how and when to reopen. The move comes as health officials are reporting a decline in new infections over the past week, as well as a dip in hospitalizations. And joining us now to talk about the easing of restrictions Don Thompson, reporter with Associated Press. Don Thompson, welcome. Good to have you. Good to be here. We also want to welcome Joshua Salomon, who's Professor of Medicine, Center for Health Policy and Center for Primary Care Outcomes and Research at Stanford. And welcome to the program, Joshua Salomon. Welcome back. Good to have you back. Good morning. Thanks for having me. And Don Thompson, let me begin with you. Tell us about the governor's reversal. What uh, they announced uh, early this morning is that they are lifting the stay-at-home orders uh, for all the regions that still had them in effect, which is the the San Francisco Bay Area, the Southern California area, and the San Joaquin Valley area. And this uh, allows them to go back, those counties to go back to um, whatever tier they were in, the the four um, color-coded tiers that they were in before the, the stay-at-home order uh, uh, was posed, imposed uh, early December. So for most of the counties in the state, uh, including those that where the, it had been lifted previously, it's back to the purple tier, which allows uh, certain things to happen. It uh, allows uh, restaurants can have outdoor dining, um, barber shops, hair salons, uh, that sort of thing can, can reopen. Um, gyms can have outdoor activities. Worship services can resume outdoors. Uh, restaurants, I don't know if I said this, but outdoor dining again, as opposed to just takeout uh, orders. So it lifts some of the restrictions, but uh, still significant uh, restrictions on uh, those that remain in the purple, purple tier, which is virtually every county. Thank you for laying that out for us. I want to just follow it up with a question about uh, the data being out of sight, which you've written about uh in a very illuminating way, if I may say so. I mean, Sacramento was locked down after a couple of weeks of reopening, and uh, there's been difficulty in understanding what was behind all that. We hear from the administration, that is the Newsom administration, that uh, it all has to do with ICU capacity behind the decision, and yet uh, even that's kind of murky, isn't it? Well, it was, uh, yeah, what got us started on on this path was a couple of weeks ago now, the um, the the 13 county San or greater Sacramento area uh, suddenly was uh, had it lifted uh, for that region and uh, at the time the uh, ICU capacity which is what they were basing this on was around nine percent 9.4 if I remember correctly and the threshold is 15 percent and what they said is that uh, projecting out four weeks uh, it will it will be above 15 percent. And it sort of caught everybody, well, it did catch everybody by surprise, uh, health officers, um, uh, you know, public officials, virtually everybody uh, was caught by surprise because it had been, you know, well under the threshold. And the same thing seems to have happened overnight here where the, uh, it's now being lifted for these other areas, including San Joaquin and, and Southern California, which were 
you know, effectively zero capacity for uh, ICU beds. Uh, that doesn't mean there's no ICU beds available. It means that that under a weighted um, percentage, a, a weighted formula that they use, that um, a bulk of the the ICU beds in those regions were being used by uh, coronavirus patients. So they do include enough capacity there for uh, you know routine um, people who would have been going in ICUs regardless before this, uh, you know, car crash victims or uh, those recovering from heart surgery or whatever. But again, it uh, the projection is now that that statewide we will have above the 15% ICU capacity, not now, but in four weeks. So that's what they're basing this on. They've not disclosed the data that they're basing that on. They, they, uh, there's been sort of a, a fluctuating um, explanation for what's included in that data. And we were asking them to say, to provide, hey, you, know, you, you provide trend lines for everything else. Why not provide trend lines for this so people aren't caught by surprise? Yeah, it almost seems like uh, the obligation of being transparent to the public is uh, to some extent really being uh, circumnavigated here or put it in another way, just avoided. Uh, Joshua Solomon, let me bring you into this uh, this this new announcement uh, statewide. We have to remember, this is a huge state and uh, Los Angeles, for example, has been an epicenter of this state and has been far more serious uh, in terms of COVID infections than probably anywhere else. Um, record-breaking number of, uh, that matter, deaths uh, occurring and new variants as well. So um, are we moving too fast in the direction uh, or how do you read this? Yeah, I, I do think that's a, that's a concern. Uh, look, I, I know everybody's uh, been asked to make a, a lot of sacrifices, and there's a general fatigue with all of the restrictions uh, that have been imposed over the last year. But at this point, we really are still in a very dangerous situation, and we need to be quite careful not to reopen too broadly and too quickly. Uh, if you look at the numbers, uh, they certainly suggest that we have found the peak of the most recent surge, which is good news and, and welcome news. But I'd keep in mind that, that we've just passed that crest. Uh, and if you look at the daily deaths statewide, they're about five times higher than in early December uh, when the stay-at-home order was put in place. Hospitalizations are still about two times higher. That's true at the state level. It's true in our Bay Area. So I really am going to be looking at how the governor's office proceeds at this point with reopening over the coming weeks uh, and hoping that they'll proceed with some caution uh, and hopefully learning some of the lessons that we should have learned from reopening very quickly after the spring and summer surges. And you would agree with maybe the necessity to be more transparent and give out data to a greater degree so the public can know what's going on more than it does? Absolutely. I think that's really critical. Uh, you know, when we're asking the public to make very profound changes in the, in the way we go about our lives, I think the least we can do is, is make the basis for those decisions very clear and provide all those data uh, in, in a very clear and transparent way. Well, I know there are many of you who have questions. We're talking about today's announcement that California will lift the stay-at-home order with Don Thompson from the AP and Joshua Salomon from Stanford. You want to share your thoughts on reopening and today's news about the easing of shelter-in-place restrictions? You can give us a call now. The number to call is 866-733-6786. The number again, 
for your calls, 866-733-6786. You can also, of course, get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email any questions you may have to forum at kqed.org. Here's a comment from Trish. She says, every time the state opens up or loosens restrictions, we see a pronounced spike in COVID incidents. We all are tired of living in isolation and damaging the business sector, but why can't we wait a little long, longer in an effort to maximize the chances of actually retaining the reduced rates of cases? Again, you may want to weigh in here. Please feel free to join us talking again about today's announcement that California will lift the stay-at-home order with Don Thompson, Joshua Salomon. You're listening to Forum on KQED Public Radio. I'm Michael Krasny. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. This is Forum. I'm Michael Krasny. I'm talking about today's announcement that California will lift the stay-at-home order with Don Thompson, who's a reporter with AP Associated Press, and Joshua Selman, who's professor of medicine with the Center for Health Policy and Center for Primary Care Outcomes and Research at Stanford University. You can share your thoughts on reopening in today's news or any questions you may have. The news is that the easing of shelter-in-place restrictions will indeed be the fact now, and you can give us a call at our toll-free number, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786, or get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum, or email us, forum at kqed.org. Don, if I could just go back to you for a moment, do we know what may have triggered this policy reversal? There was certainly a big lawsuit. We talked about it on Friday with restaurants wanting to have open dining and feeling there was great inconsistency. Did that play a role? We, we don't know what uh, led to it. And that's uh, what they're saying is that the uh, goes back to the, the story that we had where there's a, a uh, ostensibly it's because the there's a projection now that four weeks out that statewide we will have 15 uh, percent capacity in the ICUs. So that's uh, that's what they had said was their benchmark. Um, I think many people took it to be current capacity. And what they said when they reopened the greater Sacramento region was it's, it's this projection uh, four weeks out. Whether there are other things that underlie it, uh, that's, uh, they're not saying that. It, they're saying it's based on this, this projection of the, the capacity that they're not revealing the figures behind that, uh, that uh, decision. But well, there we go again with figures not being uh, revealed. Uh, Joshua Salomon, quick question for you. Should we be looking at... ICU projections, uh, or should we be looking at coronavirus cases? The coronavirus cases. Yeah, I think it made sense to to use ICU projections uh, back in December uh, because I think we really were looking at a at a very uh, urgent situation with the holidays coming up and concerns that people would be gathering in ways that increased risk. I think as we move into this next phase, it's less clear that ICU projections should really be the basis for, for these decisions. Right now, I think we've all been hearing about uh, new variants uh, circulating and probably gaining in numbers. Uh, and those variants are worrisome, 
uh, because there's a lots, lots of evidence that they're more transmissible, which means that things can get out of control really quickly. Uh, and some suggestions that I think really still need to be uh, studied about whether they might be more lethal or, or might uh, escape uh, vaccination. And on, on those last two, I think there's no strong evidence yet that those are the case. But in any case, I, I think we really do need to be worried about the spread of infection. Uh, and ICU capacity is a very late indicator. I think uh, when we run out of ICU capacity, that means we've let infections get way out of control. So I, I do think we should be looking at other metrics. Now, there has been an uptick, though, in ICU availability and slower transmission rates. Uh, update due today, however, and we have these projections that are along four-week uh, trajectories. Uh, they're certainly, and getting these numbers, a suggestion of slowing uh, everyone from the most intense phase of the pandemic, and that's hopeful, but at the same time, we've had more deaths. Let me get some callers on here. We go to Tibor first. Tibor, join us. You're on the air. Hello? Yes, hi. Hello? Hi. Hi. Michael Krasny, hi. Um, yes, nice to talk to you finally. I've been listening to you since well, 24 years or so. I actually, unfortunately, learned about 911 through you. I thought you were doing some kind of story on uh, towers uh, from an author, and, and unfortunately soon found out thereafter that that was not, not, a, not a book. Um, so my, my point is that, yeah, I do think um, outside dining should be um, should be considered uh, to continue as, as soon as possible. My friend is uh, the owner of Bobby G's in uh, Berkeley, and I helped build a parklet with him. And as soon as we got finished building that, it was shut off uh, early December. So we're looking forward to being able to reopen outside, and I think that the restaurant, restaurant industry definitely needs that at this point. I'd also like to add, I think that the state should try to really help out the restaurant industry with uh, grants at this point, not loans. Uh, for back rent and all that. Uh, okay, now I'll take my question off the air. Good, good to hear from you. Um, that seems more like a statement than a than a question. Uh, just wondering uh, about any thoughts you may have in response to that call. Let me go to you, Joshua Solomon. Yeah, no, I, I agree with the, the listener. Uh, and the restaurant industry really has been very badly hurt by the pandemic. Uh, something you mentioned is something that I've also been really advocating for and others have as well, which is, uh, th that I think we need federal support for, for restaurants uh, if they are going to stay closed uh, to, to basically pay them to, to make up for the lost income uh, as, you know, Germany and, and other countries have done. And so I, the listener is correct that outdoor dining tends to be safer uh, than certainly than indoor dining. Uh, but but if, if we could uh, also support restaurants to, to stay closed if they can do that and, and to not suffer these economic losses, I think that would be a good policy option as well. Well, since you mentioned federal support, I'm wondering what you think about more national guidance. The CDC has been pretty confusing on that score. And now there's more optimism with the new administration, the Biden administration. You feel that way? Absolutely. I, I think if you look back, the guidance uh, from the CDC has been very confusing over the past year. There are very concerning indications that there were political interference in the scientific reports that, that came out of CDC, which is really just unprecedented and, and completely outrageous. Uh, the new administration has appointed Dr. Rochelle Walensky as the director of CDC, and most everybody that I know who works in health and medicine and public health 
really welcomes that as an incredibly positive development. Uh, and already Dr. Walensky has signaled a bedrock commitment to following the science. Uh, she's also indicated that CDC will be carefully reviewing all of its guidance around coronavirus uh, and, and releasing that on the site as that, as that gets renewed. So all of these very positive developments. Let me bring in Jeanette next. Jeanette, good morning. Welcome. Thank you for waiting. Hi. Um, you know, I, I'm a salon owner in Mill Valley, and um, I am hearing a lot of people talking about restaurants and how restaurants have been hurt by all of these shutdowns um, while they have been able to continue to operate um, at a limited capacity. Salons, spas, and, um, you know, personal care services have been shut down completely with absolutely no help and absolutely no alternative ways to make money. And as a result of that, um, I see that salons were open under more dangerous circumstances, not being regulated, people doing house calls and, um, you know, doing what they need to do to survive because there's no help and absolutely no gray area for those people to make money. And um, so I'm really glad that they're going to open salons today because I think it's safer for our salons to be open and regulated where we can see what's going on and the windows and doors can be open and, you know, operations can happen outside in the open instead of behind closed doors with, you know, everything closed. Jeanette, I thank you for that call. And in fact, uh, looking at some emails here, one which pretty much confirms the point of view we just heard from Jeanette, a listener writes, reopening outdoor dining is great news, both for the owners, employees, and the community. We need a safe place to meet, socialize. It's harm reduction, no different than clean needles. On the other hand, here's a listener who says, reopening now is the worst move. Yes, lockdown is awful in every way, but every time we see a hint of virus containment or relief for the healthcare system, we make it worse, so ill-advised. Can I get you to weigh in here, Dr. Solomon? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sympathetic with both of those points. I, I do think uh, we, we can look at risks of a variety of different activities, and there's no possibility that we can eliminate risks entirely. So it makes sense to follow what we've done in public health, which is uh, what the listener mentions as harm reduction. We really try to encourage activities that are lower risk, uh, and, and discourage or prohibit activities that are, that are highest risk. At the same time, I, I agree with the, the second listener. Uh, we've, we've made this mistake over and over again, which is just as we see things starting to round the corner, we open up very quickly. Uh, and that's a time when I think we really need to consolidate all the gains that we've made through all these sacrifices and restrictions. Uh, if we open up right when we pass the peak, that's pretty much a recipe to, to head back up towards another peak. And as we've seen over the last year, each peak has been higher than the last one. And so I really hope that we'll start to learn from these mistakes and stop repeating them. And we'll bring another caller on from Richmond. Elena joins us. Elena, good morning. Hi, uh, I have a question about reopening schools. It seems to me like there isn't a whole lot of emphasis on prioritizing teachers for the vaccines and doing what it takes to get schools reopened. In Europe, schools seem to be the last to close and the first to open up. And it doesn't make sense to me to bring in, bring back barbers and restaurants when the schools are still shut down. We're actually going to be talking about school reopenings tomorrow on Forum. Uh, but I wonder if you can weigh in on this. Uh, Don Thompson, can I go to you? 
Yeah, so the teachers are in the sort of the next tier of those who are expected to get uh, vaccines. So that that tier, uh, what we're doing now is the healthcare workers and the uh, those who are in, in uh, congregate care facilities, skilled nursing, nursing centers, that sort of thing. And the next tier includes, for instance, food workers, uh, those who are in uh, both the ag industry and, and uh, grocers, that sort of thing. It includes teachers. It includes uh, first responders. Uh, there's a bit of a challenge now because it, uh, we're now also including those 65 and older. So there's some question whether that is going to push back or how much that's going to push back those who were in that tier to begin with. But uh, teachers were in that, that, well, still are in that, that uh, next tier for vaccines as they become available. There's a listener who says, our state is doing poorly with vaccinations and we're in the middle of a new, more contagious strain. This is the time to reopen. I'm so disappointed with our leadership. And Daniel says, I was in Lafayette Park yesterday and there was a group of 15 picnicking and sitting close together with no masks and they were not the only ones. We have it so easy here. We also have the worst record of COVID control in the world. I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but uh, we certainly have our problems. Uh, Here's a question, uh, if I can go to you on this, Dr. Solomon, from a listener named Ruben. It says, if I already got infected with the virus, could I get sick with the new variants of the virus? Yeah, right now, I, I think there's still uncertainty about the possibility of, of reinfection, either with the same strain or, or with the new variants. Uh, we also know that these vaccines are amazingly effective, better than we had hoped, but they're not perfectly effective. Uh, and so that's that's why we're uh, suggesting, and, and I think public health experts are unanimous in suggesting uh, that <laughs> people still need to be rather cautious, even if they've been infected before and even if they've received the vaccination. Until we get widespread protection in the community, the recommendation is still that we follow all of the recommendations for, for safety, uh, keeping masks on and in public, avoiding large gatherings. And so I think that reinfection remains an area of some uncertainty, and so caution is warranted. What about that 5%? I uh, keep thinking about that. 95% effective, but there's a 5% presumably that's not effective. Yeah, and again, I, I don't want to undersell the vaccines because I, I think we've been doing that a, a little bit in the communications. These are incredibly effective vaccines, uh, way better than I think anybody had hoped for back in the summer or even the early fall. So 95% uh, efficacy in a vaccination of this type uh, is about as good as you can hope for. Um, and, you know, per perfection really rarely exists. And so we should all feel very, very confident that these are highly effective vaccines. I also want to ask you, uh, if I may, Joshua Solomon, about the fact that there have been comparisons of California's deaths and infections uh, versus Florida's. That's a state that has had much looser restrictions, and California has not done much better, especially considering Florida's population is older. Thoughts? Yeah, it, it really is hard to find simple explanations for the, the differences that we see. Uh, California, as we know, is, a, is an incredibly large and varied state. And so we're seeing very different patterns of infection and uh, epidemic outcomes in different regions of the state. So it's hard to make these comparisons or attribute them to the success or failure of one particular policy or, or set of policies. Uh, what we do know is that there are activities that put people at high risk. Uh, and as much as possible, we hope that the policies and any restrictions in place are intended to, to reduce the possibility for the virus to spread in these very high risk circumstances. 
A comment from a listener named Pam who writes, I can't help but wonder if the push on this lifting action is due to the momentum of the recall effort. Agree, ICU isn't the best measure, and we have seen that people will gather and then COVID tends to spike. Since the ICU threshold isn't really where it needs to be and the administration isn't revealing true reasoning, this could be the fuel. Uh, since you've been covering this, Don Thompson, I wonder if you have some thoughts uh, about really what Newsom's office or the public health office in California can do to make the public more aware of, well, to be more transparent, frankly, but also avoiding all this major confusion about how these decisions are made. Well, I think that's something they're struggling with. So they are trying to find and, and have talked about trying to, to put this on a level that people can relate to, that uh, you know, you're seeing some of the, what they call trusted messengers out there uh, for doctors and, and uh, nurses and that sort of thing on these uh, public service announcements or uh, things along that line where they're trying to make the, the uh, more or less personalize it, that, that here this really can't affect you and, and you need to basically social distance, wear a mask, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We've heard it a zillion times at this point. So it's finding that that uh, something that resonates with people that I think they're trying to do at this point, and they're trying to do it um, in areas that, that have some skepticism in, in uh, communities that, that are um, uh, maybe speak different languages or have some fear of, of these sorts of things. And, and that's been the struggle since the outcome or since the, uh, uh, the outset here. Todd Thompson, again, is a reporter with the Associated Press. And Kelly is our next caller. Kelly, join us. You're on the air. Hi. Um, I just wondered if you could provide some clarity around uh, people that have had COVID. Uh, my mother-in-law is two weeks out of the hospital, recovered from COVID, 88 years old. She's doing well. And I wondered, is she or vulnerable populations, should they be getting the vaccine as extra insurance? And what are doctors recommending to people like my mother-in-law, who is, you know, at an, an elder age and much more vulnerable to um, possible reinfection. Thank you. Okay, thank you for the question. I'm going to go to you again, Dr. Solomon, Joshua Solomon. Yeah, I, I think some people have suggested uh, that we don't necessarily prioritize delivering vaccination to people who have a previous known infection. But that's really more about the fact that, that right now the, the supply of vaccines is relatively scarce, uh, and there's uh, an interest in prioritizing people who can benefit the most in terms of avoiding risks of uh, mortality and morbidity. Uh, and also, I think at a population level, we want to get up enough coverage to, to provide some immunity. So I, I think uh, eventually the recommendation will be that uh, people, all people should be vaccinated, including those uh, who've been infected in the past, because the immunity from vaccines may be different from the immunity from infection. Right now, if there's a suggestion uh, to hold off, it's really about the scarcity. I wish we had time to talk about uh, some of these decisions being made, like the one in Pennsylvania, to give priority to smokers. But unfortunately, we've come pretty much to the end of the hour. Although, uh, here's a quick question for you, Dr. Solomon. Does the effect uh, of the 120-mile travel advisory issued earlier this month uh, mean Californians will be able to travel further than 120 miles? Do you know? Uh, I, I really don't know the answer to that. Sorry. Do you, Don? Don Thompson? They're still recommending that people follow that. Uh, that advisor remains in effect as, at this point. So much uh, will be essentially unfurling here. And uh, 
I've got a question about, I've got a lot of questions, unfortunately, that I can't get to, and I'm sorry um, we've come to the end of the hour, but let me extend thanks to both of our guests. Joshua Salomon, again, is Professor of Medicine with the Center for Health Policy and Center for Primary Care Outcomes and Research at Stanford. Good to have you back with us, Dr. Salomon. Thank you. Thanks very much. And thank you, Don Thompson. Don Thompson, again, a reporter with Associated Press. Good to have you. Thank you. And good to have you, our listeners. We appreciate your listenership and are here with you Monday through Friday, 9 to 11, every weekday, an hour is repeated in the evening, 10 to 11. Remind you, you can always let us know what you think about what you hear on Forum or would like to hear by emailing us, forum at kqed.org. Finally, please stay safe. I'm Michael Krasny. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.